It's June 13th, and this is the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. We're going to jump in with our Old Testament reading in the one-year Bible plan, reading as always in the New Living Translation. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1 through chapter 12, verse 19. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidian, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyways. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. What? Why would you even want that many? I mean, that's... Can you imagine trying to even remember 1,000 wives' names? That's just just ridiculous. He has 1,000 women, 700 of them wives. Insane. Anyways, I'm going to keep reading. Verse 3. And, in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God, as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Astaroth, the goddess of the Sidians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely, as his father David had done. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Chemish, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Solomon built such shrines for all his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. So now the Lord said to him, Since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. But for the sake of your father David, I will not do this while you are still alive. I will take the kingdom away from your son. And even so, I will not take away the entire kingdom. I will let him be king of one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, my chosen city. So let's pause. This is um, the sad ending to Solomon's story. And what you should begin to notice as we read about the kings and major uh, story characters in the Bible is that they start strong and then they're not the savior God's people need. So from Genesis 3, when uh, man falls into sin, uh, all the way through the Old Testament, we see these people who might be able to fulfill the Lord's promise at the end of Genesis 3, which is that one day from the seed of man, there will come a man who will crush the head of the serpent, that will restore things back to the way they're supposed to be. And you you think, um, you know, it, it could be, Moses at one point, and yet Moses uh, has a sin, and it keeps him from in- leading the people into the promised land. It could be David, and David's story starts really strong, and then he has an incident with Bathsheba, and the rest of his life is wrong. And then you get to Solomon, David's son, and he does so much right. In fact, it replays the Genesis story, and uh, Solomon asks for wisdom, which is what Adam didn't do. Adam and Eve, they, they did their own wisdom. They ate from the tree of good and evil, good and bad, if you will. They chose it for themselves instead of allowing God to give them the wisdom to decide and to discern and to rule. Solomon does the right thing. He asks the Lord for wisdom. He says, Lord, I I am but a youth. I need your help. Yes. So Solomon might be the one. 
And then we get to the end of Solomon's story here, and we find out, no, Solomon's not the one. He fails like the first Adam. He fails like Moses. He fails like David. And we'll see this theme continue through the Old Testament. And yet throughout, as we continue to see this story play through it, there's a Savior that rises up, and then they're not quite the Savior to fulfill God's plan. What is this doing? Well, it is crawling out for us that we need a Messiah. And one comes who claims to be the greater Moses, the greater David, the greater Solomon. His name is Jesus. And he lives the perfect life from beginning to end that Solomon, David, Moses, and Adam could not live. He chooses to rest in God's wisdom and not his own wisdom. And he dies on a cross, bearing the weight of sin and death on his shoulders, dying the death we deserve to die, and giving us his righteousness so that we might live in the way that only he really truly deserves to live. And then three days later, he rises again, which is new creation bursting forth. And the scriptures would tell us Jesus now is on a throne at the right hand of God, ruling over the spiritual principalities. And one day he's going to return and, and he's going to fully rule. And the, the graves will empty as resurrection comes and the world will be restored to its right state. And the way we uh, get to uh, participate in this good news is by trusting in him. We believe he is who he says he is and he did what he said he did. And he calls us into a new way of life. So we repent from our old way of life to his new way of life. Doesn't mean we're perfect. No. The gospel is good news because it means he covered our sins. But it means we want to be pursuing the life he would have for us because he is the way to life. And so we turn from uh, doing things under our own wisdom to now trying with the best of our ability and with his grace to seek out the life that he would have for us, following his way and his wisdom. And then the future part of the gospel uh, is that we believe we will get to participate in that new world based upon what he has done. See, the, the story of Solomon and the stories we read, they call out for a Savior. And that Savior is ultimately going to be Jesus, who comes in the New Testament. So it's a sad ending to Solomon's story, but it reminds us that one greater is coming. and His name is Jesus. And as I do every day, I would encourage you, friends, trust in this Jesus. Make him the Lord of your life, the center of your life the lenses through which you see all of the rest of your life. Verse 14. Then the Lord raised up Hadad, the Edomite, a member of Edom's royal family, to be Solomon's adversary. Years before, David had defeated Edom. Joab, his army commander, had stayed to bury some of the Israelite soldiers who had died in battle. While there, they killed every male in Edom. Joab and the army of Israel had stayed there for six months, killing them. But Hadad and a few of his father's royal officials escaped and headed for Egypt. Hadad was just a boy at the time. They set out from Midian and went to Paran, where others joined them. Then they traveled to Egypt and went to Pharaoh, who gave them a home, food, and some land. Pharaoh grew very fond of Hadad, and he gave him his first wife's sister in marriage, the sister of Queen Tahavaz. She bore him a son named Ginnembeth. Tophus raised him in Pharaoh's palace among Pharaoh's own sons. When the news reached Hadad in Egypt that David and his commander Joab were dead, he said to Pharaoh, Let me return to my own country. Why? Pharaoh asked him. What do you lack here that makes you want to go home? Nothing, he replied. But even so, please let me return home. God also raised up Razan, son of Elidia, as Solomon's adversary. Rezin had fled from his master, King Hadadezer of Zobah. 
and had become the leader of a gang of rebels. After David conquered Hadad the desert, Rezin and his men fled to Damascus, where he became king. Rezin was Israel's bitter adversary for the rest of Solomon's reign, and he made trouble, just as Hadad did. Rezin hated Israel intensely and continued to reign in Aram. Another rebel leader was Jeroboam, son of Nebat, one of Solomon's own officials. He came from the town of Zerda in Ephraim, and his mother was Zeriah, a widow. This is the story behind his rebellion. Solomon was rebuilding the supporting terraces and repairing the walls of the city of his father David. Jeroboam was a very capable young man, and when Solomon saw how industrious he was, he put him in charge of the labor force from the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, the descendants of Joseph. One day, as Jeroboam was leaving Jerusalem, the prophet Ahaziah from Silo met him along the way. Ahaziah was wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone in a field, and Ahaziah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into twelve pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, Take ten of these pieces, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and I will give it ten of the tribes to you. But I will leave him one tribe for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. For Solomon has abandoned me and worshipped Astaroth, the goddess of the Sidians, Shemesh, the god of Moab, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites. He has not followed my ways and done what is pleasing in my sight. He has not obeyed my decrees and regulations as David his father did. But I will not take the entire kingdom from Solomon at this time. For the sake of my servant David, the one whom I chose and who obeyed my commands and decrees. I will keep Solomon as leader for the rest of his life, but I will take the kingdom away from his son and give ten tribes to you. His son will have one tribe so that the descendants of David, my servant, will continue to reign, shining like a lamp in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen to be the place for my name. And I will place you on the throne of Israel, and you will rule over all that your heart desires. If you listen to what I tell you and follow my ways and do whatever I consider to be right, and if you obey my decrees and commands as my servant David did, then I will always be with you. Let me pause. He's doing it again. God in his mercy. Another human has failed and he's making another promise. The same promise he made to Adam and Eve. If you let me consider what is good and right, if you let me determine the decrees and commands and you follow and you obey and what I say, then I will always be with you. And he says, I will establish an enduring dynasty for you as I did for David, and I will give Israel to you. And yet what we're going to find is yet another failed attempt. It's not until Christ comes that this is fully lived out. See this story? The whole Bible tells this one story. This is why I love reading through the Bible, and I'm excited if it's your first time, because you're seeing how it all comes together. This wasn't written in one setting. This was written over thousands of years, and yet God working through his people for his people has been telling the story of a Messiah who would come and finally and fully do what Adam could never do and what no other human could ever do. His name is Jesus. Verse 39. Because of Solomon's sin, I will punish the descendants of David, though not forever. Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, but he fled to King Shishkashk of Egypt and stayed there until Solomon died. The rest of the events in Solomon's reign, including all his deeds and his wisdom, are recorded in the Book of the Acts of Solomon. Solomon ruled in Jerusalem over all Israel for 40 years. When he died, he was buried in the city of David. 
named for his father. Then his son Rehoboam became the next king. Moving on to chapter 12, that concludes chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all Israel had gathered to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nabat, heard of this, he returned from Egypt, for he had fled to Egypt to escape from King Solomon. The leaders of Israel summoned him. Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. Your father was a hard master, they said. Lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us. Then we will be your loyal subjects. Rehoboam replied, Give me three days to think this over, then come back for my answer. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father Solomon. What is your advice? He asked. How should I answer these people? The older counselors replied, If you are willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men, instead asked the opinion of the young men who had grown up with him and were now his advisors. What is your advice? He asked them. How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? The young men replied, This is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I am going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. <sighs> so instead of listening to the advice of the older men, he chooses to listen to the advice of the younger men who say, uh, no, you shouldn't go easy on the people, you should go harder on them. Yeah. He's completely forgetting the story of Israel, um, who were at one point in time captive in Egypt, and Pharaoh uh, abused them. And it was when they cried out to God that they were forgiven and led out of slavery into the Promised Land. And now he is no better than the Pharaoh who was in control at the time of Israel's slavery. Yeah, I'm going to work the people harder. I'm not going to serve them. They're going to serve me. Again, the good news of Jesus. The Gospel of Mark tells us he came not to be served, but to serve. So we'll see how this goes for Rehoboam. Verse 12. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to hear Rehoboam's decision, just as the king had ordered. But Rehoboam spoke harshly to the people, for he rejected the advice of the older counselors and followed the counsel of his younger advisors. He told the people, My father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. So the king paid no attention to the people. This turn of events was the will of the Lord, for it fulfilled the Lord's message to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh. When all Israel realized that the king had refused to listen to them, they responded, Down with the dynasty of David. We have no interest in the son of Jesse. Back to your homes, O Israel. Look out for your own houses, O David. So the people of Israel returned home, but Rehoboam continued to rule over the Israelites who lived in the towns of Judah. King Rehoboam sent Adonariam, who was in charge of forced labor, to restore order, but the people of Israel stoned him to death. When this news reached King Rehoboam, he quickly jumped into his chariot and fled to Jerusalem. And to this day, the northern tribes of Israel have refused to be ruled by a descendant of David. When will our world ever realize violence never actually works. You can never force somebody to do something. It's through laying down of a life that you gain life. Yeah. Moving on to the New Testament. Acts chapter 9, 1 through 25. 
Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. He found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. Amazing story. But I spent so much time talking about the Old Testament, I didn't want to pause. Uh, really cool, though, as we see Saul, the one who uh, was at the murdering of Stephen and approving of it and persecuting the church, is met on a road by Jesus, knocked off his horse, if you will, and uh, transformed. Sees Jesus for who he is, repents, and now goes from being the most zealous persecutor of the church to what we're going to see is probably the most zealous uh, moving forwarder, progressor of the church. I didn't, I didn't know what word to use there, so I said moving forwarder, which is bad grammar, kids, if you're listening. But he is the one leading the charge for the early church, uh, especially to the Gentiles and Jesus says to the kings, which is amazing. And I love the uh, the timidity of the early church about Saul. Uh, like, he, he wants to be on our team now. Uh, are you sure? Because, like, he was going to kill me. I know how this is going to work. I'm going to bow my head for prayer, and then boom, there goes my head. Like, you can't, you can't blame him for being a little skeptical of Saul. So we'll get to see that story continue as there's a movement in Acts. It starts talking a lot about Peter, and it's going to end telling us a lot of the story of Saul who you might know as the Apostle Paul.
both names are used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. Now, moving on to our Proverbs of the day, Proverbs 17, verses 4 and 5. Wrongdoers eagerly listen to gossip. Liars pay close attention to slander. Those who mock the poor insult their maker. Those who rejoice at the misfortune of others will be punished. And we'll be reading Psalm 131 in a posture of prayer. It's just three short verses. This is the 131st Psalm. A song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem, a psalm of David. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and always. Lord, I can um, just almost hear the exhaustion in David's voice as he pleads for people to put uh, their trust in you, uh, Lord. Uh, and I, I want to heed this advice, putting my trust in you and you alone. Lord, because I know if I put my trust in myself, it'll end up like Solomon. It'll end up in death and not life. I want to turn from my ways constantly in a lifestyle of repentance, turning from my wisdom to your wisdom. Lord, I pray that you would give me the power through your spirit to do that. You'd help me see those areas where I'm living my way and not your way. Give me the wisdom I need, Lord. Thank you, God, for the way that you love us. Thank you for your gospel message of Jesus Christ. And it is in your name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me today. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this reading. Hope you'll go back and pray through that psalm, as it's a very short one. So it should be pretty easy today to have a conversation with God using it as a guide. Now, hope that you'll join me back here tomorrow as we continue our journey reading through the Bible together.